Let's pray together, and we'll dig into God's Word. Thank you so much, Father, for the gift of the Scriptures. And thank you for how you meet us in the truth of your Word. And I pray that you would do that again this morning. I pray that you'd help me as I preach. Give me wisdom and give me revelation by the Holy Spirit. Help me to be uh, accurate and to be under your word. And Lord, we pray that the power of your truth would deeply impact each of us this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112. And if you need a Bible, if you don't have one with you, go ahead and raise your hand. We'd like to bring one to you that you can use to look on with as we study this next passage together. And in the Bibles we're passing out, where you want to turn to is page 514. So it's page 514 in the Bibles that we passed out. Now, while you're turning there, I'm going to take you back to the 1960s to think about the civil rights movement, the civil rights leaders that were involved in advancing the civil rights of minorities in the South in the 60s. Now, I want you to think about the obstacles that they faced in terms of what they were trying to do. Think about how deeply racism was entrenched And think about the hatred that was there and the suspicion that was there and the pain and the anger that was there. I mean, these civil rights workers were facing huge obstacles. But think of how encouraging it would have been as they locked arms, arm in arm, and marching down the streets of, say, Selma, and as they sing together, we shall overcome. We shall, just imagine, the we shall overcome. I mean, think of the power, the encouragement, the strength that would have come to them as they sang that. Think of how different it would have been if instead of singing, we shall overcome, they sang, we might overcome, okay? Or even, we won't overcome. Very different (laughs) impact that song would have had. Now, here's why I mention that. We Christians face... Huge obstacles of temptation. This next week, next years, next decades, the trials that come our way, the difficulties, the temptations that come, we face huge obstacles. We all do. Every believer, Jesus promised, in the world you will have tribulation. We will face temptations. So the question is, what song do you sing as you think about the temptations that you are facing or the temptations that you will face. Do you sing, we shall overcome? Or do you sing, we might overcome? Or do you sing, we won't overcome? Which song do you sing? And which song does God's word say we ought to sing? And honestly, think about this. As you face temptations, I think some of us here... Uh, for whatever reason, background, whatever, when it comes to thinking about fighting temptation, you have a defeatist attitude. And you think that that might be biblical. I hope that that will be corrected this morning. So what song should we sing as we think about facing the obstacles and the temptations in the next days, months, years? The author of Psalm 119 tells us what song we should sing. In verses 105 to 112. So let's read these eight verses 
Then I'll walk us through it and try to show you what I'm seeing there and see if you see it too. That's my goal is that you would see God's word for yourself. My goal is to introduce you to the scriptures so that you can see the truth that's there. This is the important truth, okay? So let's take a look. Psalm 119, verses 105 to 112. Look at what he says. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hands continually. That means his life is often in danger, is the point he's making there. I hold my life in my hands continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. So let's start with this question. How does the author describe God's word? And it's right there in verse 105. Very, probably one of the more common verses, more well-known verses in Psalm 119. How does the author describe God's word? Verse 105, he says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now why do we need a light? Well, the author understands, and you can see this taught in many other scriptures, that our sin has darkened us so we cannot see the reality, the truth around us. Picture like this. Let's say that, and this is true, through Christ, through faith in Christ, we are on a pathway to Paradise Valley. Okay, Through Jesus Christ, trusting him, we're on this pathway to Paradise Valley. Lush green grass, trout jumping in the streams, wildflowers blooming, and best of all, God's presence is there. We are on our way to Paradise Valley, but the scriptures teach that on our way, on this path, there are dangerous pockets of quicksand, and there are alligator-filled swamps, and there are side paths that could lead you to fall off a cliff to your destruction. And the problem is that our sin darkens things so that we're not able to see clearly, which is this path to Paradise Valley, or is this path going to lead me to fall off a cliff to my destruction? We have to understand this. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The problem is sin clouds our thinking, so we're not able to see clearly, is this leading to Paradise Valley, or is this leading to to my spiritual destruction? But what God does is he gives us this beautiful flashlight. And when you open it up, It shines, and you can see, oh, that path's leading off a cliff. Here's the path to Paradise Valley. That path is leading to dangerous quicksand. Here's the path to Paradise Valley. Now, let me give you an illustration. Let's just say that you and your wife have had kind of been at odds last couple days or week or weeks, and uh, tomorrow at work, an attractive woman on your team, she's obviously flirting with you. And in the course of the conversation, she throws out, I'd like to have lunch with you sometime. How about today? And you're starting to think, okay, what's the big deal, right? Work relationship, I mean, it's not a big, I mean, who, it's just lunch, you know? And it'd be nice, actually, to have a woman appreciate me for a change. 
And at that moment, you are in darkness. You are like looking at this path thinking, this path could could lead to where I want to go, and this path is going to lead you to quicksand and alligator-filled swamps and over a cliff to your potential destruction. But then, you remember that there's God's Word. And you open up God's Word, and you look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, and you read, Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Light goes on. What am I thinking? Look at the alligators. Look at the quicksand. Look at the cliff coming up here. Here's the path to Paradise Valley. Not that way. The light goes on and you're back on track. See, that's what God has given us in his word. So lift up your Bible and look at it. Okay? Okay. First of all, keep it closed. Are you with me here? Lift up your Bible. Okay. Keep it closed. When it's closed... What you have is darkness, okay? Having the Bible doesn't mean the light goes on. You need to turn the on button on by opening the Bible. Light emanates forth, and you're able to, by reading it, you know how the metaphor goes, but you're able to see what's clear. You've probably experienced this. Haven't you had times when you were rationalizing and justifying and starting to move towards something that was sin, but you didn't see it at the time until saw scripture. Maybe a a brother or sister in your home group spoke a scripture to you, or you open up the word in the morning, and there it is right there, and the light goes on, and you can see this path is leading to spiritual destruction. No way am I going on that path. I want back on the path to Paradise Valley. So where the author starts here in this passage is he tells us that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We need to be humble about how much sin has affected us. Even though we're saved, sin is lingering and still affects us, and the darkness can still be there. We need the Word of God. We do not see clearly. Sin messes with our vision. Sin brings darkness into our world. We're not able to see clearly. He's given us the Word. Are you reading the Word? Have you opened, have you you turned on your flashlight this last week? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, how does that truth impact him? Look at what he says in verse 106. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. That's because every command in this book shows me the path to Paradise Valley, shows me the paths not to take, which could be to my destruction. Because of what this book is, lamp to my feet, light to my path, he makes a solemn commitment before the Lord. I'm going to keep your righteous rules. Father, I'm going to keep your word. I'm going to obey your word. Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever made a a, a, a solemn commitment before the Lord? I'm committing to obeying your righteous rules. Now, you're not promising to be perfect. That would be foolish. You're not promising sinlessness, but you're committing. I'm committing to obeying your word. Now, I want to call all of us to do that. I would encourage you to pray that on a regular basis, as long as you understand two things that does not mean. Okay? One thing that does not mean is it does not mean you are saying that you will be saved by your obedience. Oh, this is huge. This is like the the barrier between man-made religion 
and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not saved by our obedience. Old Testament taught that. New Testament teaches that. And we see even more clearly now that Jesus Christ has come, we see what he has done for us. He lived the perfectly obedient life we should have lived. And he was punished with the punishment that we should have been punished with. And it's by faith alone. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, by faith alone, when you trust Jesus Christ, all the benefits of his perfectly blameless, perfectly obedient life come to you, and all the benefits of him being punished in your place come to you, and you are born again, and you are forgiven, not because of how good you are, or how good you've been, but because of how good he was, and how he paid for all of your sin, by faith alone. Now, if your faith is genuine, if you're trusting Jesus, then you will desire and you will commit to obeying God's word entirely. That'll be your desire. That'll be your commitment. If you're thinking, well, I'm obeying God here, here, and here, so that kind of covers for me not wanting to obey over here, is that trusting Jesus? That's not trusting Jesus if you're saying, I trust you for this, 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 but I'm not going to trust you for this one. That's not trust. And so one of the evidences that your trust is genuine is that you are committed to obeying Everything Jesus Christ calls you to do because you trust him. Now, that obedience does not save you, but obedience shows that you have the kind of faith that does save you. One more time. Obedience does not save you, but obedience shows that you're trusting Jesus with the kind of trust that connects you to all the benefits of his blameless, perfectly obedient life and his death on the cross for you. So to commit to God... I'm making a holy commitment to you, Lord, to obey your word. You're not saying that you're going to be saved by your obedience. You're also not saying that you're going to be perfectly sinless. Okay, the author would have known, it's taught all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, that when you're saved through trusting Jesus Christ, his power comes upon you and changes you. Sin's power is broken in you. There's a change But sin's power is not removed yet. That happens when? Heaven. Okay? So when you're saved, sin's power is broken, but sin's power is not yet removed. It's not eradicated. That will happen in heaven. So in this life, we still have to deal with sin's power. We have what the Bible calls indwelling sin. And so what that means is that we, we commit not, we don't promise sinlessness, but we commit to pursuing sinlessness. See the difference? We'd be foolish to promise sinlessness because of indwelling sin, but God wants us because we trust him and we want to, to commit to pursuing obedience to his word. And so what that means is that when temptations come, we fight. There's no area of our life where we say, well, I'm going to sin in this area because I've been good here, 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 here. That's not trust. We're saying, Lord, my life's at your, in, in your hands. I surrender completely to you. And when we do sin, when we do sin, we turn right back to Jesus Christ with broken hearts and say, forgive me. I've sinned. I've dishonored you. Wash me. Cleanse me. And he will love you. He will wash you. He will cleanse you, he'll renew you, and you'll be back in the fight again. So that's what the psalmist is doing here. I make a holy vow before you, God. I am going to obey your word. I'm going to obey your word. Have you said that? Do you see the the, the treasures of 
the, the pathway to Paradise Valley, the joys of walking on that path, knowing God's presence on that path, and moving to the full outpouring of God's presence in heaven? Do you see that clearly? So that you want to walk in that path. Do you see the dangers that are there from the side paths? Do you see the quicksand? Do you see the alligator-filled swamps? Do you see that? And so that, oh, I want to walk in the path to Paradise Valley. Take time and pray that and say, Lord, I want to make a holy commitment before you to obey you in every area. Now, how can he pray that, though, and say that when he knows his own sinfulness? Right? How can he make that holy commitment before the Lord? Because we all know how easily we can turn to sin. Right? I mean, how easily I can turn to prayerlessness. How easily we can turn to self-righteousness. How easily we can turn to gossip. How easily I can turn to pride. I mean, it's so easy to sin. So if it's that easy, how can he make this commitment? And I think the author tells us how in verses 107 and 108. Now, I just want to tell you, I struggled to understand how these two verses fit into the overall flow of thought of the author. Okay? And so I would encourage you to do some more thinking about these two verses and maybe wrestle with them as a home group together. So I'm going to share with you what, what I think is going on here and would encourage you to do some more thinking about it. Look at what he says in verses 107 and 108. He says, I am severely afflicted. Okay, so here, I think he's talking about, I mean, that word affliction can cover every difficulty we go through, but in the context, he's talking so much about obedience and uh, following God's commands. I think he's talking about the severe affliction, especially that comes when you're being tempted. Okay? So he's saying, I am severely tempted. And what does he do when he is severely tempted? He prays, give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Here's the beautiful thing. When you are in the thick of temptation, and it seems like you are on the brink of stepping onto that path that leads to sin, if you will stop and cry out to God for life, give me life, Father, in Jesus' name, give me life, he will. He'll give it to you according to his word. He's promised in the word to do it, and he will do it through the word. That's what according to the word means. He will break sin's power in you. He will strengthen your faith so you see him and his beauty and majesty more clearly. He will do that. He will satisfy you so much with his presence that the puny, paltry satisfactions of sin don't tempt you anymore. That's what he will do if you will stop and say, give me life, O Lord, according to your word. So that's what's going on in verse 107. And whenever we pray that, God will do it. I mean, you've experienced this. God will come. He'll pour his Holy Spirit out upon you. He will change your heart. He will satisfy your soul. He will strengthen your resolve. He will come supernaturally and change you. And so then he says in verse 108, accept my free will offerings of praise. I think what's going on here is, Lord, when I'm severely tempted and I cry out to you for life and you give me life which you promised to according to your word, I'm going to respond with praise. Thank you. Thank you. I'm free. I was a goner. You freed me. I'm back on the path to Paradise Valley. Full bore. Here we go. So he will offer a 
freewill offering of praise. But notice the next phrase, O Lord, and teach me your rules. So he still is praying, God, keep teaching me your rules. Keep giving me life. I'm relying on you. I need your power. So even though I've seen you deliver me from sin, I don't become self-reliant at that point, but I'm gonna, I'll praise you for it, but I'm going to keep asking you, teach me your rules. Teach me your rules. That's what I think is going on here. How can he make a commitment, a solemn commitment before the Lord? I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to follow your word. How can he do that, knowing his sinfulness? It's because he knows what God promises to do for him. Now, I grant, that's not crystal clear from those two verses. I think it's pretty clear. I think it's probably what's going on here. But let me show you another verse where it is crystal clear. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Oh, I would encourage you to memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is such a powerful description of what God does for those who are trusting Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is on page 957 in the Bibles that we passed out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13. I think here we see crystal clearly what I believe the author is saying in verses 107 and 108 from Psalm 119. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Amazing statement. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And in the context of the passage in the scriptures, this is your God-given ability. So here's the picture that I have. Here you are in life, and here's this conveyor belt. Okay, it stretches off there. And at the far end of the conveyor belt is Satan. Okay, he's way over here in the conveyor belt, and he is piling on that conveyor belt temptations as fast as he can. Big temptations, small temptations, deceptive temptations, strong temptations, nasty temptations, ugly temptations, destructive temptations. And the conveyor belt's moving in this way, so he's just piling them on one at a time because he wants you to be tempted, 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 tempted. But between you and Satan is God, faithful God. And here's what he does. He looks at each temptation that's coming down the conveyor belt. And if one of the temptations is going to be beyond your God-given strength, what does he do? That won't work. Take that one off. Okay? Oh, that one won't work. Take that one off, too. Uh, this one, this one will work. Okay, go ahead. All right. Oh, this one's no good. Ooh, these next couple, bad. Okay, bad. No, 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 no. Just keeps... So he filters out temptations that would be beyond our God-given strength to endure. Do you see what that means? Oh, not only that, he also provides a way of escape. So temptations are coming, he removes all the ones that would be beyond our God-given strength, and then the ones that he lets go, he attaches to it, here's a way of escape, here's a way of escape, here's a way of escape. So every temptation you face, two things will be true about it. It will be within your God-given strength. As you cry out to God, he will give you strength to overcome it, and there's a way of escape so that you can endure it. Every temptation, which means you will never face a temptation that will be beyond the grace that God will give you just to overcome it if you call upon him. Do you see that? This is an amazing truth. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to Psalm 119. 
I think that's the point of verses 107 and 108. That is the reason the author can make a solemn commitment before the Lord. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to walk in your ways. This is the desire of my heart. I'm committing to doing this. The reason he can do that and not be utterly foolish is because, not because of his own self-reliance, not because of his own spiritual discipline or his own strength that he has. That would be totally foolish. If it was up to him, utterly ridiculous to make that commitment. I mean, the next five seconds he'll be sinning. But because of God's grace, because of God's promise to give life whenever we're severely tempted, to, another way to put it, the way Paul puts it, to filter out any temptations that would be beyond the grace God would give us, the fact that God gives a way of escape with every temptation that comes our way, that means that every temptation you will face, God in his grace will enable you to overcome it. You will never face a temptation that you couldn't, by God's grace, overcome. Never. Now, I want to just state that really strongly because I would guess that some of you have kind of a defeatist attitude when it comes to facing temptation. And it kind of feels subtly biblical to you because you know your indwelling sin. Oh, wretched man that I am. You know Paul prays that. Right? And you know there is indwelling sin for, that saved people have. I have it, you have it, it won't be gone till heaven. But when temptation rises up, that's the only truth you think about. Temptation, indwelling sin. Oh boy. Right? And don't forget about your indwelling sin. Keep remembering that. That will humble you so it will drive you to your knees and say, God, help me! I can't do this. And so then there's a second truth you need to realize whenever you're tempted, not just in dwelling sin, but God's promise. He will give you life so that you can resist that temptation. He will only let you be tempted with temptations that he, by his grace, will enable you to overcome. You will never face a temptation that you can't overcome by his grace, ever. Yes, well then, why do we sin? Oh, we shouldn't. Ever. But we do, yes. And then we, we come back to the cross. Forgive me, I'm sorry. And he forgives us and he cleanses us and he loves us and he washes us clean and he gives us life and he puts us back on the path. And he does that again and 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 again. But he calls us to fight. So don't be defeatist when it comes to temptations that come your way because you'll have more joy and Jesus will have more glory when you stand firm and say, help me, give me life. And he gives life and you say no to temptation. And Christ is magnified. And you are filled. And you're back on the path of Paradise Valley. Isn't that how you want to live? I love this. So that's what's going on in this passage. Now, we're on the trail of Paradise Valley. Side paths take to you know quicksand and alligator-filled swamps and over cliffs that you can fall off of and die to your spiritual destruction. And your sin can cloud your vision so you can't see. There's darkness. You can't see which path is which. And so God gives us two things. They're both in and through the word. He gives us the word as light, which dispels the darkness. And through the word, he gives us life, which breaks the the power of sin. So he gives us light, which dispels the deception of sin, and he gives us life which overcomes the power of sin. 
Two beautiful gifts that are ours through Jesus Christ, by faith in him alone, our salvation secured in him, and those are two gifts that are part of the gift of salvation that we have. Okay, Light to dispel sin's darkness, and life to overcome sin's power through the word. Now, in light of that, then, notice how this truth affects him. Verses 109-112. He says, I hold my life in my hands continually. That is, my life is constantly in danger, but even so, I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. So what I see going on in these four verses is he just states, I am passionately excited and passionate, joyful about obeying God's word. Verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. See how passionate he is about obeying God's word? Again, path to Paradise Valley. There it is. All right, On that path, he's going to be experiencing God's presence. You'll make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there's pleasures forever. So he knows that the path to Paradise Valley is going to be God's love poured into his heart, the glory of Jesus Christ beholding, being filled with living water, every heart thirst quenched. Oh, I'm going to walk on that path. And God's is going to give me light to see. That's a false path. That's a false path. That's a false path. That's a false path. So he's passionate here about obeying God's word. I hold my life in my hand. It's in danger. I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me. I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They're the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. He's passionate about obeying God's word. Think about it like this. If, if you could never know for sure what the path to Paradise Valley was, you wouldn't be very passionate about trying to obey God. If you couldn't know for sure that every time you're tempted, God will give you life so that you can say no to sin and walk in his path, you wouldn't be very passionate about obeying God. But when you know that God promises through his word to show you his path, and that through his word he promises to give you life so you can walk in his path, which means that whenever temptation comes, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, he will give you the life, the strength you need to say no to it. Let's do this thing. Let's obey the Lord. Okay, so what does this mean for us? I would guess some of you, when it comes to battling temptation, you think when a temptation comes, you're thinking, I'm probably going to sin. I think some of you think that way. And that's not true. It doesn't need to be true. It will be true if you think that. Right? I mean, if you think it's up to you and what, what, you know, how much you've sinned in the past and how weak you are, okay, well, those are all true. But don't just focus on your indwelling sin. Focus on God's promise. Okay? His light will show you the path to take and his life will enable you that path to take. So don't be defeatist. Don't sing, we might overcome. Don't sing, we won't overcome. Sing, we shall overcome. By God's grace alone, through Christ alone, we shall overcome. Now, I'm hoping this has stirred up a lot of questions. So let's see. Let's focus the questions on this topic. Okay, If you have other questions about other things, you can email me or talk to your home group leader, maybe even better. But 
on this topic, what questions does this raise in terms of how do you view temptations in your life? I mean, honestly. And do you, do you buy this? Is this what this passage is saying? Is this, passage, is this what 1 Corinthians 10.13 is saying? And how does that work itself out? So what questions does this raise? Josh McGuire, back here. question. Really astute question. Let's hear what the rest of you think about that while I, while I do some more thinking. Really helpful. Answers to that question. I'm trying to think of, of, a, of a tangible example. Okay, so um, so here's here's somebody who's used drugs. Let's just, I want to kind of play this out. I find it helpful to get really, really tangible. So somebody who's used drugs for years and can... Um, Without referring to your sister, can you can you list off some of the issues that might be involved in somebody like that? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, so in that in that case, I think what I would say to her would be. Um, First of all, you, you meet the Lord, okay, and you see his glory, and your heart is changed. You're born again, right? A new nature comes upon you. You're not sinless, but a new nature comes. And that will bring about huge, huge change and huge growth, but not, huge growth, but not perfection, okay? And so if she said, okay, if, if I'm tempted to lie, what should I do? I would say what I just said. I would say you don't need to lie anymore, and he'll give you grace not to lie and then, okay, so then what would be a follow-up to that? Um, I'm just trying to get, get something tangible here. Right. Yeah, you can't see it. Yeah, so let me throw this out and then just hear some feedback from you. So 
when any of us comes to faith in Jesus Christ, we none of us sees everything we're called to do at the beginning, right? We all are growing in terms of our knowledge. And so what, what the Holy Spirit does is he gives you some stuff to work on, right? And you start working on those things. And as you become aware of other things, all these truths come to bear, but you may not become aware of them yet. There may be a progressive, there is a progressive becoming aware of things. I mean, you know much more now what it means to follow Christ than you did when you were first saved. So that's a progressive element to it. But I, I, I would want to cling to 1 Corinthians 10, 13 as a promise that she could apply to any temptation she ever faces. That if she calls upon the Lord, he will help her. He will deliver from that temptation, I think. Now, what do you guys think about that? Scott. Oh, and then we'll come to JP. Okay. Okay, JP, you're there. Um, just uh, speaking from my experience of uh, uh, dealing with overcoming uh, problems with alcohol, um, sometimes, like you said, you have to deal with the temptation in front of you because that's the only one you see. Yeah. You know? um, so at first, it starts off as a well, it's uh, 9 a.m. I'm not going to take that shot of whiskey. Yeah. Now it's 10 a.m. and I'm not going to take that drink. Good. Now it's 10:15 and I'm not going. You know. And it's, yes. And sometimes it's a minute by minute type of thing. Yes. You where you do that. Good. And you have to seek out. You have to look for those opportunities that the Lord has provided for you to, to get out from underneath it. You know. Um, for me, it was realizing. I need to go spend time with this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, Good call. Put me in front of God. Yeah, um, nice. Then as that temptation starts subsiding, you start seeing the other stuff. Yes. It comes in on that. You know, um, no, JP, you're, you're not in control. And when you think you're in control and you, you know, and you're trying to control things through drinking, uh, you need to find something else to do. Yeah, good. You know, um, I think sometimes for some people, God does show them the entire magnitude of their sin at once, and just it just wipes it from their life. Um, thank God I've never been that person because that's got to be an amazingly traumatic event and um, a calling to big doings afterwards. Mm. Um, in my experience, it's been a slow process of learning, you know, like you're at the gym, you, you, you overcome this temptation, you overcome this temptation, and then you see the next one that was laying underneath that. Yeah. On the conveyor belt. Yes, yes, yes. And eventually it does go over that. Good. So, That's helpful. Yeah. And thanks for sharing your story. Can bring it up to Scott? Yes. It's, it's that, and that idolatry of wanting that, that, that satisfaction from that drug is leading to all kinds of other sins. And for that person that's dealing with that drug addiction, that's their idol. And, and we all have our idols. And, we'll, and, and the idolatry that we have to fight is, I mean, that, that one gets taken care of, then there's another idol. Yes. It's going to show up. Yes, it will. It's money or whatever. Right, so right. commandments, all these, what we're supposed to do, it, it, 
it's that it's it's what's what's putting you what's what's before what's between you and God. You know, what, what's that thing that's being held up as your idol? Yes. And, and like for Josh's sister, the big idol is that is that drug addiction. It's yes. That desire for that. that and yes. Yeah, I think it's helpful. That's a good, and it's, it's crucial. Cause, and, and the other encouraging thing is that when you behold Jesus in his glory, which is what happens at conversion, um, I, your idolatry is broken at that point in time. Okay, Now, you'll still need to battle that idolatry and the different permutations of it, right? But it's broken, and, and, there's, and it's beautiful. And... Um, Anyway, so but I think so. There's there's a gradual sense. There's an there's there's a, there's a powerful thing that happens at conversion. Okay, somebody else, Marcia. I have just seen in my life and in the lives of others, and not necessarily dealing with drugs, where God sometimes delivers you completely. Yes. And you don't have to stand in it, and other times He doesn't. That's right. And it's absolutely true with the words. Yes. Says. Yes. Right. So, like, take, uh, I've got a friend, I think of two friends with the alcohol issue. One of them, when God saved him, the desire for alcohol was gone. The other, the other friend, that did not happen that way. Right. But see, the desire for something is not necessarily sin, right? I mean, if, if, you're, if you're tempted to drink too much, okay, and that's been issued, that the temptation is not necessarily sin. Um, it's the action. It's the yield of the temptation, the sin. So it's not that the, the one friend was less sinful than the other friend. Maybe that's part of the degree, too, is that the desire for drugs will lessen over time. We trust it will be gone in heaven for sure. right? I mean, there's sins that people struggle with maybe all their life. I mean, I'm sorry, temptations that people struggle with all their life. But temptation is not sin. Okay? Now, how about you in terms of your view of sin? You. Right? What song do you sing? Does it make sense to you that you should sing, We Shall Overcome? Does that make sense? Do you see that? I mean, there's years in my life where I was kind of more on the uh, We Might Overcome camp. And this has changed me. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, years ago. So do you, do you buy that? Is that in sync with the scripture? Really, really important. You're not playing games. I mean, you, 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 you might sin, but... That's because you choose not to call upon God and trust what he said about temptation. Okay, so you're saying don't do that, right? I mean, we all are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love, like the hymn says. But if you'll call upon God, he will give you the grace you need to overcome that temptation right there. It's going down if you call upon God, right? If you don't, well, then you're toast. Okay, there's no doubt about it. But if you call upon him, Scott's got to follow up. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, good. I was thinking about the. Yes, yes. I was thinking about that, that earlier this morning. Let me just throw this out. Here's the question: um, We're not sinless this side of heaven, ever. And so, how can you commit to to pursuing sinlessness? Okay, so here's here's how it works. Um, when a temptation rises up and you call upon God, free me, help me, and he meets you and strengthens your faith and so satisfies you, you can say no to that sin. Even at that moment of saying no to that sin, you're not sinless. Right? There's pride. There's doubt. There's 
you know, little idols that are bubbly, bubbly, brewing, right? You're not sinless at that moment. You've just conquered that sin by God's grace, but you're not sinless even then. Okay, so both of those are true. So you, you say, Lord, you know, I mean, again, sin is so deceptive and so subtle, and I know pride is like, even in your, your holiest moments, this side of heaven, there's sin in us. And so that's why we're always humbled before the Lord. But that doesn't mean that when a temptation rises up, by God's grace, as you call upon him, that he won't give you the grace to say absolutely no to it. So I think both are true. At least that helped me thinking about that this morning earlier. Okay, one more. Oh, no, no more questions. Okay, no time. Let's stand together. And here's what I want to call us to do. I just want you to think through what has been your song that you've sung when you face temptation. Is you, is you, have you sung, we shall overcome by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. He's going to give me grace to overcome this temptation. He's promised no temptation's overtaken you. But such as his common demand, God's faithful, won't let you be tempted beyond what you're able. Have you sung, we shall overcome? Or have you sung, we might overcome, or have you sung, we won't overcome. I want to pray that God just does something new in our hearts and our minds and renews our thinking through the scriptures today. So let me pray. Father, I ask for me and for each of us that we would see the beautiful promise that whenever we are severely tempted, when we call upon you, you will give us life. And that'll be battle. It might be laboring in prayer, opening up the word. It's not like it's easy street. But Lord, you will give us all the grace and the life that we need to battle and overcome every temptation we'll ever face. So I pray that you would strengthen us with this truth. And I pray that this week we would sing, we shall overcome by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. We shall overcome and that we would experience that this week. I pray for some who have had ongoing patterns of sin and defeat and are almost ready to throw in the towel this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them. I pray that you'd pour your love into their hearts right now. I pray that you'd give them hope. I pray that they could share their need with another brother or sister and receive prayer and that this week you would encourage them and strengthen them and they would see progress. I pray that you would do that, Father. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and that through your word you give us life when we're severely tempted. Meet us in those ways this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.